Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. If Ricky Tarr was to be believed, Moscow Center had a mole at the very heart of the circus. The task George Smiley had accepted, poor sod, was to find that mole and root him out. Smiley had set up his operational headquarters in an attic room at the Hotel Islay near Paddington Station. Each evening, Oliver Lakin of the Cabinet Office stalked in with a fat briefcase containing papers. Overnight, Smiley examined, collated, cross-referenced and digested them. You can get off, Peter, if you want. Uh, Anything from Mendel? He thinks she has a lead on Jim Prido. A school in Dorset. Trillo. And Operation Testify. The Mole Gerald. Source Merlin. You think it's all connected, don't you? Do I? George. And if I do, am I the first to think so? You're being particularly Buddha-like this evening. Oh, yes? I rest my case. There's hardly anything on Czechoslovakia in Lakin's files. I'm afraid, Peter... I can guess what's coming. It looks as though we'll have to find a way of getting hold of whatever there is on Operation Testify in Circus Registry. For getting hold of, I take it you mean steel, and by we, you mean me. There may not be much, but there ought to be something. If only for appearances. I think the vital thing, Peter, is not to leave a gap. So what I suggest is you requisition a comparable file, physically comparable, I mean, and... Pop it into the gap left by I get you. Don't worry. I've got appointments all morning, but... Uh, yes, don't disrupt your normal routine, whatever happens. You mustn't arouse suspicion. I can be at the circus by early afternoon. An eminently suitable time for a little light burglary. Huh. I'm sorry to ask you, Peter. I know it feels wrong, spying on our own. It's all right. Go on, go home. Take your girl out to supper. I'm not sure she's my girl. Oh? I haven't known her a long time. She might be a plant. She might report to Toby Esterhardy. You were seeing her before Ricky Tarr turned up. What reason would Toby have had? I don't know. Insurance? They haven't trusted me since control was pushed out. Then be very careful. Well, we don't actually talk much, I suppose. Good night. Good night. Oh, dear. That's a big sigh. Oh, Anne, leave me be, for heaven's sake. I haven't time to think about you now. Then don't. Forget about me and I'll simply disappear. If only it were that simple. Look at you. Alone up here in your eerie as if you were back on the fifth floor of the circus with your Oxford prints on the wall. Preferable to dogs and daisies. I'm sure Mrs Pope Graham runs her hotel admirably, but her taste in art is woeful. Don't be a snob, George. Will you ever come back to me, Anne? That's not what we need to think about now. No? The question is, why did Control dislike Percy Alleline so comprehensively? They learned to hate one another at Cambridge. A clash of temperaments, I think. Yes. Bill said something about that. Bill. You will have to think about Bill. Sooner or later. I know. Not quite yet, eh? Percy joined the circus from the city. Control packed him off to South America for two whole tours. The Argentinians liked his tennis. And the way he rode. So... They assumed he was a gentleman. 
Is that something else Bill said? Oh, Bill told me lots of things he probably shouldn't have. Certainly shouldn't have. When Percy eventually came back to London, it was to a job far beneath his abilities, let alone his dignity. That's right. Percy was not happy. He took steps to remedy the situation. Yes, yes. Come in, George. He went to control. Brother Percy's trying to twist my tail. There'll be bloodshed. Show George the folder, Percy. Hello, Percy. What's this? It's a high-level Soviet naval report on a recent exercise in the Black Sea, prepared for the Soviet High Command. Fifteen pages long, can you believe it? Who made the translation? God. God made it, didn't he, Percy? Don't ask him anything, he won't tell you. It's very topical. The Admiralty have been screaming for something on this for months. It's gold dust. There's no earthly reason to suppose it's genuine. It's not dated. Whose initials are these? Zharov. Admiral Black Sea Fleet. It's a draft. Zharov signed it on Thursday. The finished dispatch with those amendments went out in circulation yesterday, dated accordingly. Where's it come from? Percy doesn't feel able to tell. My brother in Christ, Lily, of Naval Intelligence, has passed a preliminary opinion. Percy showed it to him last night. Over a pink gin, was it, Percy, at the Travellers? At the Admiral time. Brother Lily was positively fulsome. He regards the documents as genuine and is seeking our permission, Percy's, I suppose I should say, to apprise his fellow sea lords of its conclusions. Quite impossible. It's for his eyes only. At least for a couple more weeks. Where does it come from? Oh, Percy's dreamt up a cover name, don't you worry. Never been slow on cover names, have we, Percy? You'll enjoy this. Source Merlin is a highly placed source with access to the most sensitive levels of Soviet policymaking. Source Merlin. We have dubbed his product Witchcraft. He'll be saying he won him on the football pools next. I'll get him to tell you why he won't tell you. The identity of Source Merlin is a secret which is not mine to divulge. It's the fruit of a long cultivation by certain people of this service, people who are bound to me as I am to them. People who are not at all entertained by the failure rate around this place. Too much has been blown, too much lost or wasted, too many scandals. I've said so many times, but I might as well have spoken to the wind for all the damn attention he paid me. I am he in this speech. You follow, George? He's referring to me. Ordinary principles of tradecraft and security have gone to the wall. Divide and rule seems to be the principle at work these days, stimulated from the top. Again, me. Personalities who should be helping to fight communism are all at one another's throats. We're losing our livelihood, our self-respect, our top partners, the Americans. Well, we've had enough, a bellyful, in fact. If Source Merlin continues to produce intelligence of this quality, and I have no doubt he will, I want a special reading room set up in the Admiralty where the documents can be made available to a select few. Under supervision, of course. I want, I want. We don't know yet if this is anything more than a fluke. It wasn't a fluke. Two or three reports a month came in. Source Merlin's material was confirmed retrospectively by other sources. Merlin was a winner. When Alaline got his reading room, Control could barely speak his rival's name. They formed a witchcraft committee with the minister in the chair. Golden boy is the vice-chairman. Do you mean Alaline? Merlin has become an industry, and I'm not even employed. Bill Hayden's supporting it. Says we haven't had anything of this quality for 20 years. There are three of them and Alaline. Roy Bland, Toby Esterhazy, Bill Hayden. 
Sweat them, George. Three of them, Aunt Adeline. Tempt them, bully them, give them whatever they eat. Tell them they're buying their way in with counterfeit money. Tell them any damn thing. Something's amiss, George, and I need time to put my finger on it. He was clearly ill. But the signs that others read as incipient failure seemed to me to be something else. So, while the cabinet office echoed to the rafters with plaudits for Alleline and his brave new men, I drove down to Acton and bearded Toby Esterhazy across his walnut desk. Toby, I'm afraid your lamplighters is rather behind with their worksheets. Two months behind, in fact. Really? That's not like us? Oh, no, I was wondering, have your boys been doing any special jobs recently? At home or abroad? Jobs which, for good reasons of security, you might not feel able to mention on your returns. What would I do that for, George? That's completely illegal. Mm -hmm. I could see you doing it for Percy Alleline, for one. If Percy ordered you to do something and not to record it, you'd be in a very difficult position. What sort of something, George? I wonder. You might think Percy was acting on instructions from the fifth floor. I can see that happening quite reasonably. George, I like the service. I would prefer to remain in it. Yes, of course. But you see, George, I lack advancement. I have so many years' seniority, I feel actually quite embarrassed when these young fellows ask me to take orders from them. You know what I mean? Which young fellows? Do you mean Roy Bland? Or Percy? Is Percy young? Who, Toby? George, when you are overdue for promotion and working your fingers to the bones, anyone looks young who's above you on the ladder. Perhaps control could move you up a few rungs. Actually, you know, I am not sure he's able to these days. That is the whisper in the corridors. Is it wrong? I never liked Toby Esterhazy, unctuous little reptile, that ridiculous accent. Was he lying to you? Oh, yes. Lakin's files prove it. Alleline persuaded the minister to fund Operation Witchcraft secretly outside mainstream circus accounting. That year, Toby made more than 20 trips on this secret budget. On several of these, he was accompanied by Roy Bland. Your very own recruit? The Cockney Firebrand? Not mine, not really. Once he was inside the circus, Roy was very much Bill Hayden's colleague. What's the deal, then? <laughs> well, there isn't one, really, Roy... Control feels that the present situation is unhealthy. He doesn't like to see you getting mixed up in a cabal. Nor do I. Great. So what's the deal? I'm about 5,000 quid backhander out of the reptile fund. And a house and car? And the kid to Eden. <laughs> I want to be on the fifth floor. Control doesn't seem to fancy the idea. I'm functioning all right. I like Control, George. But I like Percy, too. As a good socialist, I'm going for the money. As a good capitalist, I'm sticking with the revolution. Because if you can't beat it, spy on it. You scratch my conscience, I'll drive your jack right. Is that one of Bill's jokes? Materialist England, the pigs in clover society? Could be. Don't you like it? Not very much, no. It's just looking out the bloody window. Just England, now. Anyway... I can't really expect anything Bill Hayden says to amuse you, can I? Why is that? Your control's right-hand man, as long as it lasts. It's the job Bill always wanted. You took his job, so he... 
And the other half, George. Why don't you? You took his job, George, so Bill took your wife, is that it? And Bill, damn him, told everyone. I broke the rules, Toad. Bill was circus and he was family. I received him at our house, I shouldn't tell. No. That weekend. When you came back early from Berlin, we... We all behaved so beautifully. You had Liszt playing on the gramophone. I didn't lie to you, I've never done that. You said Bill had girl trouble, needed to pour his heart out. Who better than his favourite cousin? It was a Felicity in Washington who wanted a baby and... Jan in London, who was having one. Bills? Presumably. I believe there was a young man as well, wasn't there? Perhaps. I don't remember. There often was with Bill. What happened between you? Why did you never speak of it? Did Bill matter so very much? One among so many? You have work to do. Best of you get on now. All I know somewhere is that Bill Hayden hurt you deeply. And that is the sin of sins. People always compare Bill to Lawrence of Arabia. High-minded and disreputable all at the same time. The Renaissance flame around which moths like Alaline and Esterhase danced, wanting his glamour, wanting his completeness. And yet he's... What? He's far, far less than the sum of his apparent qualities. I asked him to Bywater Street for drinks. You were away. I suppose Control wants you to grill me about bloody Merlin. Percy Alaline won't do. Is that the premise? Pretty well. Percy won't do, so Merlin won't do either. Merlin would do if he were my source. If bloody Bill here potted along and said he'd hooked a big fish and wanted to play him alone, Control would give me some of that filthy jasmine tea and say, that's very nifty of you, Bill boy. You do it just the way you want to, Bill boy. Instead, he sends you snooping around the corridors. We used to be a rather classy bunch. Why are we so vulgar these days? Control thinks Percy's on the make. So he is. So am I. I want to be head boy, too. It's time I made something of myself. Since when was ambition a sin in our beastly outfit? Who runs him, Bill? Percy. Carla. Who else? Lower-class bloke with upper-class sources must be a bounder. Percy's sold out to Carla. It's the only explanation. I mean, who runs Merlin? Who is Merlin? What's going on? This is a lovely drawing, George. Is it a camera? Very nice. Doesn't anyone think my nose should be out of joint? I'm supposed to be in charge of the Russian end, you know. Along comes upstart Percy, no shadow of class, shoving a whole wagon load of Soviet goodies in front of the customers. Bloody annoying. Very. Is this a mirror? Oh, I fancy this very much. Anne gave it to me. Making amends? Probably. Must have been quite a sin. How long have you had it? Quite some time, actually. What's controlled after? He's like a hermit with a clap, scratching around all on his own in that cave out there. I don't know that he's after anything. Oh, stop flirting around. I've got a source up there, one of the secretaries. Tells me indiscretions for chocolate. Control's been toiling through personal dossiers of old circus folk heroes, sniffing out the dirt. Who was pink, who was a queen. Making a study of all our failures. And for why? Because we've got a big success on our hands. Get away from Control, George. He's dying. Death's a bore. Cut the cord, join the proles. And despite all that, despite the shift of power away from him, 
control might have won, you know. If it wasn't for Jim Prido and the operation in Czechoslovakia, Operation Testify, which went so very wrong. The circus archives are in a warren of dingy rooms at the back of the building, like one of those second-hand bookshops in the Charing Cross Road. I settled down at a desk and pretended to read. The only other person around was Ben Thruxton from research, and he spent half his life there. So far, so good. I filled in a green slip and flirted a bit with Sal, the archivist. She pointed me towards a couple of files numbered in the two eights. The testify file was in the three ones, a couple of bays down. It was a matter of moments tense moments, I grant you, to slip into the 3-1 bay and swap one of the innocuous files for testify. I sat back down. Sal hadn't noticed a thing and Ben Thruxton didn't even look up. Getting it out of the building will be trickier. You won't be allowed to take anything inside with you. Leave your bag at the desk with Alwyn. Speak to Mendel, arrange a time for him to call you. The phone booths are just opposite Alwyn's cubbyhole. A call from my garage about my car... Alwyn was sympathetic. He'd had a lot of trouble with mechanics, he said. I went into the booth, played it angry, pretended I needed a number from my address book. Hey, Alwyn, be a good chap and chuck me my bag, will you? Thanks. There were dummy files in my bag. I'd brought them with me. The testify file went in the bag, the dummy under my arm. I hung up and was just returning the bag to Alwyn with some snide comment about unscrupulous garage owners when... Peter! Good God! No, Peter, just Toby. You startled me. Apparently so. Didn't hear you. You must be wearing crepe soles. The in thing, Toby. You know about fashion. We can discuss my footwear another time, Peter. Right now we have a tiny crisis, and Percy Allerline would like quite an urgent word with you. Now? This minute? That would be very kind. Alwyn, do me a favour, would you? Give transport a ring and have them stick my bag on the noon shuttle over to Brixton. Here. Thanks, old man. Lead on, Toby. I don't know phone calls, tell them. The chief will take no calls, please, ladies. Sorry to keep you. Hello, Peter. What's this? A war party? Sit at the end of the table, below the salt. Watch your pate. Roy? Uh, well, now, young Peter Gwillem, what are you getting up to out there in the sticks these days? Apart from chasing the local virgins, if there are any in Brixton, which I severely doubt. A couple of our employees look quite promising. Cy Vanhofer's got a lead on a German diplomat. That's about it. I hear you've been hobnobbing with our late lamented brother, Tar. How is he these days? That's right, Chief. Ricky Tar and I have tea at Fortnum's every afternoon. <laughs> Peter Gwillem, you may not be aware of this, but I am of an extremely forgiving nature. I positively seethe with goodwill. All I require is the matter of your discussion with Tyre. I do not ask for his head, nor any other part of his damned anatomy, and I will restrain my impulse personally to strangle him. Or you. I would even go so far as to consider hanging a gold chain about your neck and bringing you into the palace from hateful Brixton. In that case, I can't wait for him to turn up. I'm very disappointed with you, young Peter. I pay you honest money and you stab me in the back. I consider that extremely poor reward for keeping you alive against the entreaties of my advisers, I may tell you. Tell us more about Tar's circumstances. 
His emotional state, for instance. He has a daughter, a wee bairn, name of Danny. Regalers with some pleasing anecdotes about her. I don't know any. He has a kid. He's fond of her. Obsessively fond? Not that I've heard. What the hell are you shrugging for? I'm talking about a defector from your own damn section. I'm accusing you of playing hooky with them behind my back, of playing damn fool parlour games when you don't know the stakes involved and all you can do is shrug at me down the table. There's a law, Peter Gwillem, against consorting with enemy agents. But I haven't been seeing him. It's not me playing parlour games, it's you. So get off my back. Who's Danny's mother? A Eurasian girl. Tar seems to think she looks full European. Thinks the kid does too. So if I told you that Danny and her mother were due to arrive three days ago at London Airport on the direct flight from Singapore, I may take it you would share our perplexity. Yes, I would. You would also keep your mouth shut when you get out of here. The source is extremely secret, Peter. It may sound to you like ordinary flight information, but it isn't. It's ultra, ultra sensitive. Then I'll try to keep my mouth ultra shut. So what would you make of this information? Come on, Peter. You were his boss, his guide, his philosopher, and his friend. Why is Tar coming to England? That's not what you said. You said Tar's girl and her daughter Danny were expected in London three days ago. Where little Danny is, Tar himself is unlikely to be far behind if he's not here already. It being the manner of men to come first and bring their impedimenta later. Look, for the last seven months, I've been told Tar's a defector sitting in Moscow. Everything he knew is blown, right? What's he supposed to be doing now? Redefecting to us? Redefecting <laughs> would be a charitable way of putting it. Listen to me. Listen exactly. And remember, Danny and her mother are travelling on fake British passports in the name of Poole, like the harbour. The passports are Russian fakes. A third passport went to Tard himself, the well-known Mr Poole. Tard is already in England, but we don't know where. He left ahead of Danny and her mother, came here by a different route, and instructed them to follow him in one week, which they have not yet done, apparently. This information only reached us yesterday, so we've a lot of footwork to do yet. Tar instructed Danny and her mother that if he failed to make contact with them, they should throw themselves in the mercy of one Peter Gwillem. That's you, I believe. If they were due three days ago, what's happened to them? Delayed. Mr. Plain changed the plans, lost the tickets. How the hell do I know? Or else the information's wrong. Oh, it isn't. The source is impeccable. All right. So, the Russians have turned Tar around. They've sent his family over. God knows why. I'd have thought they'd have put them in the bank. And they've sent him too. Why is it all so hot? What sort of a plant can he be when we don't believe a word he says? Never mind what sort of a plant. Muddying pools, poisoning wells. But just you remember this. At the very first whisper of him, or his womenfolk, young Peter Gwillem, you come to one of us grown-ups. Anyone you see at this table, but not another damn soul. Do you follow that injunction perfectly? Because there are more damn wheels within wheels than you can possibly guess or have any right to know. 
stupid bloody cabaret. Percy's getting more insufferable every day. Bill? Don't mind me. I'll shove off back to Brixton, shall I? In a minute, Pete. I need you to sign this first. What is it? Just sign. Oh, dear. Doesn't Roy trust young Peter anymore? Hello? Is that Mr. Barraclough? This is Lofthouse from Finance. Oh, yes? I have to go down to the country. A sick relative. Wondered if you fancied the ride. You got the testify file out safely? This is my bag. It's not very thick. I feared it wouldn't be. Quick thinking on your part, using the shuttle. Blind panic. What was the document you signed for Roy? Uh... I certify that I have today been advised of the contents of witchcraft report number 308, source Merlin. I undertake not to divulge any part of this report to other members of the service, nor will I divulge the existence of source Merlin. That's excellent, Peter. I'm glad you think so. I'm going to kill that bastard tar. Think, Peter. Ricky has not lied to us. He has simply done what agents do the world over, failed to tell us the whole story. He's been rather clever, in fact. Oh, yes? The art of the double cross is not to look for perfection, but for advantage. Left here and left again at the Dower House. Hmm. I spoke to Fawn. He says Ricky hasn't been outside or used the telephone. If Fawn says so, you can trust him. Ricky has been less nervy, Fawn's words. He's talked about Irina a great deal, but not a word about Danny and her mother. Nothing about bringing them to England? Providing them with documents? Apparently not. Go as far as you can, but park short of the gates. I expect Ricky's in bed by now. Then I'll take great pleasure in waking him up. It's the middle of the bloody night. Losing your beauty sleep. I'm sorry to pester you. But I must ask you again what you did with those two Swiss escape passports you took with you to Hong Kong. Perhaps you should open a window, Peter. Ricky's sweating. I'm fine. Nothing is altered, Ricky. I want to believe your story. Once we know, we'll respect your privacy. But we have to know. It's terribly important. Your whole future hangs on it. I told you. I burned them. I reckoned they were blown. Might as well have put a label round my neck. Ricky Tarr. Wanted. When you bought your British passport in the name of Poole, did you buy any others from the same source? Why should I? To protect your child. Her mother, too, if you could. All right. I got passports for Danny and her mother. What do we do now? Cry out in ecstasy? No. Why didn't you tell us that before? We're not monsters. We don't wish them harm. There's no crime in looking after the people one loves. We might even have helped you. Or was it that you were ashamed? Rightly, I suppose. Not very gallant of you, escaping to all this VIP treatment while you leave Danny and her mother with blown passports, at the mercy of whoever was looking so hard for Mr Poole. It is horrible to contemplate the lengths Carla would go in order to obtain your silence. The other reason you might not have told us, I suppose, is that you burnt the passports. The British passports, I mean, not the Swiss ones. 
You knew the pool was blown, so you burnt the pool passports you had bought for Danny and her mother, but you kept your own because there was no alternative. Then you made travel bookings for Danny and her mother in the name of pool to make Carla's footpads think that you still believed in the pool passports. You doctored the Swiss escapes, one for Danny, one for her mother. You made a different set of arrangements which you didn't advertise. My guess is they're still out east, but somewhere else. Like Jakarta. Somewhere you have friends. You bastard. Maybe you should keep a better eye on your own damn woman and leave mine alone. Hey! Let him go, Peter. I don't know where they are, you understand? As far as I'm aware, no harm has come to them. I hope you believe that. As long as you don't try to communicate with them, it's probably better that I shouldn't know. Unless you want me to do something about them. Money or protection or comfort of some sort. No, thanks. It won't be long now, Ricky. Perhaps a week. Less, if I can manage it. Try not to brood. believe him? I'm inclined to, yes. After such a very violent reaction. You hurt him, Peter, I think. Good. Was Tar referring to anyone in particular when he made that unpleasant reference to Anne? I'm afraid he was, yes. The rumour is as precise as that. And it goes that far down the line, even to Tar. Yes. And what does it say, precisely? That Bill Hayden was Anne Smiley's lover. Ah, I see. Yes. Thank you. I should have telephoned Lakin before he left the house. We should meet tomorrow morning once I've been through that testify file. There's an all-night restaurant just along here. You could phone from there. We could eat something, even. When was the last time you had a proper meal? We'll let the wine breathe a little, shall we? We might improve it. Ever the optimist, George. How much do you know about Carla? He's the spider at the heart of Moscow Centre. The puppet master. Yes. Decades of his life are unaccounted for. The people he worked with had a way of dying off or keeping their mouths shut. He's said to have learned his tradecraft from Berg, which is like being taught music by... Oh, name a great composer. We know at least his career began in Spain in 36. Sometime before the war, he spent six months in Britain. But even today, we don't know under what name or cover. Gerald may know. <laughs> Gerald's not likely to tell us, is he? In 48, the pendulum swung and Carla was in disgrace. He did a spell in Siberia, but he survived it, unlike a lot of them. After Stalin died, he was reinstated. Moscow Centre posted him to America. He'd just come from there when I met him. You met Carla? At the time, he was just an agent called Gerstmann. It was the mid-50s. Moscow Centre was in pieces. Senior officers were being purged wholesale. I became a sort of commercial traveller, flying around the world to sign up defecting Russians. Control thought Carla, Gerstmann, 
might be a suitable candidate. This chap's been out in California. There's a Soviet cell largely inactive because of lack of communication. We've known about it for months. Moscow sent Gerstmann to set up a radio link for them. He's a radio man? Do try not to let your prejudices show, George. I know how you despise radio men. Yes, they're a tiresome lot. Bad fieldmen, overstrung and disgracefully unreliable when it comes to doing the job. Well, Moscow summoned Gerstmann to meet a contact in Delhi, but the Indians arrested him first. Have we promised them a piece of the product? Nothing we can't get out of. Moscow is livid, positively fuming. We rolled up the California operation the day Gerstmann left San Francisco, and, unsurprisingly, given the tendencies of our American cousins, it's been all over the papers. As far as Moscow's concerned, Gerstmann's to blame. It's more dangerous for him to go home than to stay abroad, a clear case for defection. With any luck, he'll be back in London by the weekend. It was just another job. One among many. I had tickets for Sadler's Wells that Saturday night, I remember. It was Anne's great year for ballet. A twenty-year-old Welsh Apollo, the season's wonder boy. For some reason it hurt an awful lot. <clears throat> I suppose my nerve ends have been a good deal blunted by, well, that, and by so many similar encounters with potential defectors. So I went to Delhi. The heat in that stinking jail cell was appalling. They brought him in manacled, which seemed silly because he was so slight. Do sit down, Gerstmann. I thought we might have a little talk. Free his hands, would you? I'll take full responsibility. What did he look like? Avuncular. Modest and avuncular. Little wiry chap, silvery hair and wrinkles. Like an Italian village priest. Bright brown eyes, which he fixed on me early on. The truth is, I was slightly predisposed against him. Because you were a radio man? Perhaps I'm looking for excuses for going to work on him with less... less care, less caution than in retrospect would seem appropriate. Pour the wine, would you, Peter? Hmm. The heat seemed to radiate from the cell walls. He wasn't sweating. I was. Profusely. I trotted out my piece, as I had done a dozen times that year. You don't have to go back, you know. Come to the West and we can give you, within reason, a decent life. After questioning at which you are expected to cooperate, we can help you to a new start. A new identity, seclusion, certain amount of money. On the other hand, you can go back and they will either shoot you or send you to a camp. Last month, they shot Bikov, Shur and Moranov. Now, why don't you tell me your real name? He just sat there, looking at me with those brown, rather jolly eyes, hands out in front of him. They were very calloused. I remember thinking I must ask him why he's been doing so much manual labour. Have a cigarette, why don't you? This is your brand, isn't it? Camels. I have a whole carton for you. I know you're a chain smoker. Have one now, if you want. 
It wasn't just that he was silent. He was completely, absolutely still. And suddenly, everything inside me was so much in motion. Anne, my own heartbeat, the effects of heat and travel. I can understand. Can you? He could have sat all day without stirring a muscle, whereas I... I longed to have something in front of me, a book, a report. I think I'm a restless person. Well, I thought so then, anyway. I felt I lacked philosophic repose. My work had been oppressing me much more than I'd realised. I felt that the entire responsibility for fighting the Cold War had landed on my shoulders, which was tripe, of course. I was just exhausted and a little bit ill. What did you do? I dried up, sat there, sweating. Any fool knows that if you dry up, you walk out. But I didn't. The next thing I knew, I was talking about Anne. George. Not about my Anne. Not in so many words. About his Anne. Tell me about Mrs. Gersman. Where is she now, exactly? She'll have to make a new life. Have you some friend you can count on to look after her? Perhaps we can find a way of getting in touch with her. Your going back to Moscow won't do her any good at all. At best, she will be ostracised. I suppose she might be allowed to see you briefly before you're shot. But if you throw in your lot with us, perhaps we can trade her. Surely she'd prefer to know you're safe and well in the West and there's a chance she'll be able to join you. Rather than that you're shot or starving to death in Siberia. I'm sorry, did I touch a nerve? Siberia, was it? You must know what it's like. Was someone you care about sent there? Or was it you, Gersman? Do you have personal experience? I imagine it was very hard for you. And for Mrs. Gersman. This job is hard, isn't it? On the woman one loves. I could have sworn that I was getting through to him, that I'd found the chink in his armour, when, of course, all I was doing was showing him the chink in mine. Have a cigarette. Here. I'll light it for you. No? We'll put you on a plane to Moscow tomorrow, unless we come to terms. Don't get up. We have so much to talk about. He politely indicated to the warders that he would like to return to his cell. All right. We'll continue tomorrow. Think about it. He didn't take his eyes off me. He picked up the unopened packet of cigarettes from the table. And the lighter. My lighter. A gift from Anne. It had an inscription to George from Anne with all my love. I would never have dreamed of letting him take it in the ordinary way, but... But I thought it somehow appropriate that he should have it. I thought it... Lord, tell me, expressive of the bond between us. I went back to my hotel, 
I was more ill than I would admit. I ate a poor dinner, drank too much and ran a soaring temperature. I lay on my bed, sweating, dreaming about Gersman. I wanted him desperately not to go back. I wanted to remake his life, to set him up again with his wife in idyllic circumstances, to get him out of the war for good. Do you understand what I'm saying, Peter? You were ill. Yes. But it was Smiley I wanted out of the conflict that night, not Carla. My Anne I wanted back, not his. Next morning, a doctor gave me injections to bring down the fever. I should have dropped the case, cabled for a replacement. Instead, I went back to the prison. He was sitting stiff as a ramrod on a trestle bench. For the first time, I saw the soldier in him. I knew that, like me, he hadn't slept all night. He was holding Anne's lighter in his hand. A packet of cigarettes lay beside him on the bench, untouched. He'd used the night and the forsworn cigarettes to decide whether he could face prison and interrogation and death. One look at his face showed me he had decided he could. I sat beside him. Listen to me. Both of us, when we were young, subscribed to great visions, but not anymore, surely. We've spent our lives searching out the weaknesses in one another's systems. Perhaps by different routes, we've reached the same conclusions. We both understand the world. We both know that in the hands of politicians, grand designs achieve nothing. Only new forms of the old misery. Saving your life from a firing squad is more important, morally, ethically, than the principle or sense of duty that keeps you on your present course. Don't you see that? After all the travels of your life, can you really, possibly, still have faith in the system you've served? Not a word. Why was I surprised? He still had something I had lost. He would die rather than give me what I wanted. He would rather die than disown the political system to which he was committed. You can imagine what Control said afterwards. He loved to hear of people's weaknesses. Mine especially, for some reason. Do you think Carla ever really thought of staying? I don't think it even crossed his mind. I behaved like a soft fool, the very archetype of a flabby Western liberal. But I'd rather be my kind of fool than his, for all that. What happened when he got back to Moscow? He wasn't shot, obviously. He wasn't, but his old boss was. A month later, Carla got his boss's job and set to work reactivating his agents. Among them, Gerald, no doubt. He still has Anne's cigarette lighter. And Mrs. Gerstman? She killed herself when he was sent to Siberia. So, Carla is fireproof. He can't be bought, and he can't be beaten. No. No, Carla is not fireproof. Because he's a fanatic. And one day, if I have anything to do with it, 
that lack of moderation will be his downfall. Look, I'm not quite there myself, Peter, but nearly I am. Carl has pulled the circus inside out, that much I understand, so do you. But there's a last, clever knot, and I can't undo it. No, I mean to. All through that night, the light in Mr. Barraclough's room at the Islay Hotel burned uninterrupted, and George read and made notes and put papers into a dozen little piles. I read somewhere that Swifts lower their body temperature to that of their environment so they don't waste energy adjusting. George was like that. A little before six, he called me, the usual procedure. I could tell from his voice that something had changed. I've discovered some interesting facts. Once Percy Allerline took over the circus, the Treasury approved funding for a London house to be carried on the witchcraft budget. A safe house exclusive to Merlin, where he could be met, fed, entertained, debriefed. Where? Percy has so far declined to share the address with anyone outside his inner circle. Then, a few months ago, a junior at the Foreign Office with the unlikely name of J.P. Ribble... Bugger. Quite. Anyway, he queried some of the witchcraft reports. Merlin claimed to have been at a number of meetings which we knew had taken place in different cities, hundreds of miles apart, on the same day. Whoops. So Merlin was a liar. Percy must have been cross. Percy was forced to acknowledge that there was not one source, but several. All working through the single contact Merlin. And... If you compare the dates of the obviously topical witchcraft reports with the official travel pattern of cultural attaché Polyakov's trips to Moscow... Bloody hell, George, you have been busy. When Merlin produced a topical report, either Polyakov was in London or Toby Esterhasi went abroad. Immediately after Tar's adventure in Hong Kong, Polyakov was in Moscow for what they called urgent cultural consultations. Soon after his return, Merlin came through with some of his most topical and spectacular material. Do you see? Polyakov is Merlin? No. Polyakov is Merlin's mouthpiece. The same Polyakov we believe runs the mole, Gerald. The Polyakov Connie Sachs described as a Carla-trained hood. The last clever knot. Lakin will be here at 8.30. I'll go through the papers then, demonstrate the theory. You see, Carla has made a mistake. Rather a clumsy one. It's Ricky Tar and the passports. No, you're losing me. Tar and Irina. As soon as Tar contacted London about Irina, the Mole Gerald told Carla that she had blabbed. With enviable speed, Carla had the poor woman bundled back to Moscow. I'm sure she's long dead by now. Okay. So, Carla knows Irina told Tar about the Mole Gerald. What he doesn't know is how much she said or who else Tar has told. Carla needs that information if he's going to keep control of this situation. So he tries to find Tar. Exactly, but he's too late. Tar's already left the East. The last thing Carla wants is for Tar to turn up here in England. But if he does, Gerald needs to get to him first to silence him. And what's the best way to find out if Tar's in England? Use the circuit. Exactly. Carla used Source Merlin, used Polyarkov, to tell London to watch out for Ricky. It was clumsy, but worth the risk. He'd have got away with it if nobody was looking. Fortunately, we were. It proved that Merlin is Carla's mouthpiece. All that information, all that intelligence, witchcraft, the whole basis on which Percy Allerline has built his reputation at the circus... ...has all been fed to us by Carla. 
To all intents and purposes, Peter, Carla has been running the circus. Through Merlin, Carla gives London information. London reacts and Gerald tells Moscow exactly what our reaction is. And if we share anything with the Americans... Whatever they give us in exchange, Gerald drops it straight into Carla's lap. Carla knows what we're thinking and he knows what the Americans are thinking. But the intelligence he's been giving us through Merlin, that's good information. Yes, of course. One gives the enemy the best one can afford. If Carla has his eye on the American market, he can afford a great deal. As a Russian, one would give almost anything to the English if... If, well, if one could buy the Americans in return. Lakin's going to hate this. A month ago, the witchcraft stuff was buying us the moon. Now we'll have to come clean and say the Russians are cooking it for us. Yes. There's still nothing Lakin can do, though. Not without arousing suspicion. Not till we know who Gerald is. There are three of them and Adeline. That's what Control said. It could only be Hayden or Bland or Esterhazy. I think this might be why Control sent Jim Prido to Czechoslovakia, because he thought he was going to find out. Control didn't know which of them was the mole, nor do we. So, we have to get to the bottom of Operation Testify. Hmm. Was there much in the file I got you? Hardly a thing. I'm afraid we'll have to find another path, Peter. Sam Collins was sacked from the service around the same time as Smiley. Sam being Sam, he'd found himself a cushy new job running a private gambling club just off Grosvenor Square. I dropped George off there on my way home. What do you think of the place? It's very impressive. <laughs> impressive. That's the word. I have a recurring dream, George. One hot night, Percy Adeline walks through that door with a shabby suitcase and asks for a flutter. Puts the whole lot on red and loses. <laughs> what can I do for you? The night Jim Prido was shot, according to the record, you were duty officer. Writing your memoirs, old boy? We're reopening the case. We? I, myself, and me, with Lakin pushing and the minister pulling. The record's been filleted. It's a matter of going to people and asking what they remember. It's not a weekend I'll forget in a hurry. So? What are you offering, George? Nothing. Oh, come on. Every deal needs a sweetener. That would depend on what you have to give, Sam. What it's worth. All right. I'd just come back from a three-year stint in Vientiane. Nobody seemed to have any plans for me. Uh, you were in Berlin, controlled a packed bill up-country somewhere. I was heading for the south of France for a month's leave when Control practically scooped me up and marched me into his office. He looked like he had a five-day fever. I want you to do weekend duty. You can't say anything to anyone. Not a hint. Not anywhere in the building. I need a good man in case there's a crisis. An old hand, someone who's been away. Swap shifts with Mary Masterman. Find an excuse, but swap shifts. I sold Mary some story. She was happy to let me do her weekend shift. I went over at nine on Saturday morning with six cans of beer in my briefcase. Couldn't believe how dead the place was. I could have been evacuated. Control didn't ring. Nothing. Finally, I went upstairs to see if he was in. He was sitting all alone. No mothers, no you, just Control and Jasmine tea. So then he peeled off another veil. Half a veil. Someone's doing a special job for me, of great importance to the service. You must never breathe a word about this, Sam. Not even when it's over. Not to Smiley or Bill or Roy Bland. Not a word. I get it. Your job is to act as a cutout between me and whatever happens in the rest of the building. If anything comes in, a signal, a phone call, anything, however trivial, wait until the coast is clear, then whip up here and hand it to me personally. No phones, not even the internal lines. 
Understand? I told you. I get it. Not, of course, that anything is likely to happen. And for hours on end, nothing did happen. I drank my beer, phoned my bookie and lost a small fortune on the steeplechasing at Kempton. The first call came just as I was getting to sleep. 11.20 exactly. The phones didn't stop ringing for the next ten hours. What is it? Is this the crisis? This what you were expecting? Tell me. A shooting in Checo. Just outside Berno. Word is a British spy's been shot. The FO's been on, now Reuters. All hell's broken out on the Czech airwaves. Can I have a brief, please? Would you want to come down and handle this yourself, sir? Control? Find Smiley. Smiley's in Berlin. What about the operation? It's deniable. He had foreign documents. Nobody could know he's British at this point. They do. It's been on Czech radio, for God's sake. A British spy shot. Ah, an act of gross provocation by a Western power, an infringement of Czechoslovakia's sovereignty and an outrage against freedom-loving people of all nations. Sir? Well, don't leave me holding the baby for crying out loud. I should have felt sorry for him, I suppose, but just then I couldn't raise much sympathy. I felt like Gordon at Khartoum. What did you do? I, I rang Bywater Street, and then I sent a signal to Berlin telling them to fly you back by yesterday. Couldn't find anyone from Top Brass. Rang Bywater Street? What for? In case you'd come back early from Berlin. You hadn't. Who did you speak to? Anne. Anne's away just now. Could you remind me how that conversation went? I asked for you, and she said you were in Berlin. And that was all? I asked her whether by any chance she knew where Bill Hayden was. It was a crisis, George. She, she gave me a shirty no and rang off. How did she sound? I told you. Shirty. By one o'clock I was getting the whole book thrown at me. The military, Lake and the minister having the vapours and yellow fevers simultaneously. At one we had a longer Czech news bulletin. A British spy named Jim Prido, travelling on false Czech papers and assisted by Czech counter-revolutionaries, had attempted to kidnap an unnamed Czech general in the forest near Brno and smuggle him over the Austrian border. Prido had been shot, but they didn't say killed. Other arrests were imminent. And I thought, uh, just as Control must have thought, if Jim is shot and has Czech papers, how the hell do they know his name and how do they know he's British? Not long after, Bill Hayden walked in. Sam, what a bloody mess. Oh, thank God. I've been trying to find someone. How did you hear? Picked up the story on the ticker tape at my club. Came straight here. There's been a shooting party. Who's down? Do we know? Jim Prido. Jim shot? Shot dead? I'll take over the switchboard, Sam. Mm. We'll get it calm by morning. Right. You'll need these. And you know he bloody did, too. It was a treat to watch. What time was this exactly? One fifteen. Which is rather late, isn't it, for reading club ticker tapes? Not my world, old boy. Anyway, Bill took over at the circus. Did a grand cleaning-up job. He rang the Czech head resident in London, threatened to make him the laughing stock of his profession if a hair of Jim Prido's head was hurt. He invited him to pass that on to his masters. Sam, listen. Bill was making love to Anne that night. George. You phoned her, she told you Bill wasn't there. As soon as she'd rung off, she pushed Bill out of bed and he turned up at the circus an hour later, knowing there'd been an incident in Czechoslovakia. If you were giving me the story from the shoulder on a postcard, that's what you'd say. Broadly? 
But you didn't tell Anne about Czechoslovakia when you phoned her. So how did Bill know? He stopped at his club on the way to the circus. Then why didn't he know Jim Prido had been shot? Why didn't he know, Sam? In part two of Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy by John le Carre, dramatised by Sean McKenna, Smiley was played by Simon Russell Beale and Gwillem by Ewan Bailey. Anne was Anna Chancellor. Control, John Rowe. Alloline, Bill Patterson. And Hayden, Michael Feast. Ricky Tarr was Jamie Foreman. Esther Harsey, Sam Dale. Roy Bland, David Hargreaves. And Sam Collins, Nicholas Bolton. The director was Stephen Kenny. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.